Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 123 of the Women's World Football Show. The free-to-air Women's World Football Show, I should hasten to add. And it's a wonderful day over here in England. Uh, how are you doing, Patty? Uh, just as well. Very nice here in Southern California and uh, just enjoying the weather and stuff. Um, I'm glad that you said free-to-air because we are one of the very few podcasts out there that have no commercial interruptions. I hate when I'm listening to one of my favorite podcasts and I have to fast-forward through all of the promo-type stuff. It gets annoying. So here it's straight on an hour from... 30 minutes or so of just good content, good soccer content. I, I see our favourite pub shutting down, isn't it, in LA as well? That's sad times. Yeah, you know, I meant to tell you that. I When I heard about it, I was pretty uh, sad. They're actually, remember we went through this, we're talking about the ESPN Zone and um, Disney Walk over here in Southern California. ESPN Zone, when it came out, it was fantastic. You go in, you go to the bar, they have reclining seats. You have uh, table waiters coming, bringing you your beer and all your bar food, and you watch these gigantic screens of all kinds of sporting events. Although, I think when we went, the sporting event that was on was pretty lame. Yeah, it was the United... It was the Gold Cup, wasn't it? And it was, as the as the guy doing the commentating described it, the CONCACAF Giants, United States men's national team, taking on Haiti. And there was like three guys watching it, and there were more people watching the SEC media day on the other screen, weren't there? I know, it's really, usually it would be really hard to get seats in there. That's why I was like, oh, I don't know, you have to have reservations. But yeah, we just walked right in and plopped down on a couple of big chairs and, and drank and ate. And that was a good time. Yeah, but they're getting rid of those. I guess they didn't have the, the yeah. financial paybacks that they thought they were going to have on it. But, you know. But next next year, if I come over, 2019 Star Wars Lands opens in Disney. So me, you, Karen, and AJ will have to go to that. They're, they're building a, an actual replica Millennium Falcon, aren't they? You're going to be able to walk around and stuff. But yeah, it's so cool when you go to Disneyland because everybody's got their Star Wars gear on now. It's almost kind of taking over. I mean, even I wore my R2-D2 shirt and it's kind of your... It's you got We got to go. That was one thing we didn't do. We didn't go inside Disneyland when you were here. So next time, yeah. we'll get you over we'll there. We'll do that. Yeah, we'll do that. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Yeah. I want to kind of lean yeah, into this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, it's really cool. Yeah, I don't know if you guys noticed, but we did our rainbow logo. I did that yesterday, and I think it's really important just to be kind of really supportive this month. And, you know, soccer is one of those places, uh, sports, that really worked really hard on being very inclusive and being a safe place. Um, and before we start the show, Adam, I know we have some great guests on today. I'm so excited to get going. But, um, you know, there's something that's been on my mind and that I feel like I just need to talk about. Okay, that's cool. And, uh, you know, we normally, we don't talk about controversial issues here. We try to stay positive and upbeat because there's so much negativity sometimes, especially on social media. We kind of steer away from that. But something came up this week that uh, hit me very personally, and I know it did a lot of our listeners out there as well. We're speaking of Pride Month. <laughs> um, I, I think we'd be remiss in, if I didn't say something. So, you know, it's no secret to those of us who follow the women's game that North Carolina Courage player Jalene Hinkle 
refused a spot on the U.S. women's national team last year because she refused to wear the USA jersey with the rainbow numbers on the back. And this was during Pride Month last year. But this past week, she did a very revealing interview at the 700 Club. Uh, that's a very ultra-right, conservative TV station. And it really struck a chord with me and I know a lot of our listeners out there, a lot of soccer supporters, and I'll tell you why. I have a very good friend. I've known him since kindergarten. I've always called him my soulmate. We were born on the same day, the same year. His uncle married my aunt. And we were really thick as thieves growing up. We were kind of the same person almost. We ended up both being gay, which is kind of another strange coincidence. But, And I came out when I was 21. You know, I grew up in the Catholic church like my friend. And so I was concerned, you know, you know, what does God think of me? So, so I did a lot of studying. I took some theology classes. I did extensive Bible study for years. I studied the Bible in actual language, the languages it was written in, in Hebrew, Greek, Arabic. I'm no theo theologian, but um, I came out of that experience with the knowledge of, okay, I'm okay. God is okay with me. I don't think looking back that I had to do all that. I think you just have to kind of look into your heart, whether you believe in God or not, or I don't know, God is such a weird word, maybe a higher power, higher, higher consciousness, whatever you want to call it. I didn't really need to do all that, what I did, but I, you know, I wanted to make sure I was okay. And then I concluded I was fine and I went out and lived my life. My friend, on the other hand, while we were, you know, alike in so many ways, he went in a different direction. He struggled with his sexuality. He didn't want to disappoint his family or the church, and he tried to change. And a, a lot of this came because he listened to people saying the things Hinkle is saying right now. He turned to the church and he tried to change. And when he didn't change, because you know, you are, you are who you are, uh, he felt like a failure and rejected by those same people and by their words. And he did what a lot of kids do when they're in pain. He turned to drugs and alcohol. I think Hinkle and these type of people who are homophobic and hide behind the mask of religion, I think in their hearts that they think they're saving people and they're bringing them to the Lord. Well, you know, full disclosure, you're not bringing people to God. You're repelling them from God. You're not helping people. You're hurting them. And last February, my friend passed away on our birthday. And um, I wholeheartedly believe that he would still be here today and he'd be living a healthy, happy life if it weren't for those people saying the things that Jelaine Hinkle said in that interview. So all I want to say, you know, if you're out there and you're listening and you're struggling, turn away from that trash and reach out to your support group and the soccer community is one of those places. You know, we've worked so hard to be inclusive and one person isn't going to change that. Soccer is still a safe place for you. And, no, and you know what, if you don't have anyone to turn to, email me patty at wwfshow.com and I'll try to help you. I wish I could have done more to help my friend, um, but you know, it's too late and I don't want it to be too late for you. So we need you here and only you know your heart and the world is just a much better place with you in it. So that's all I want to say. Let's get on with the show. Thanks Adam for letting me do this. Um, kind of emotional, but it was very personal and I think I just uh, wanted to say that. So, and, and in line with that, I'm just kind of, I'm sorry to be kind of a downer. <laughs> um, and I didn't really mean it to be so emotional, but it's kind of hard. You know, you love somebody so yeah. much and you grow up with somebody and, and you see what, what can happen and the repercussions of that. You know, it's just tough. 
But in saying that, um, in credit to U.S. soccer, both the men's and the women's national teams, because they will wear the rainbow-colored numbers in June during the friendlies. It started with uh, just kind of promoting values of uh, the culture of soccer in this country, and I think around the world. It's a culture of diversity and, and inclusivity and a global connectivity, you know, not as a country, but as an organization. Also, U.S. soccer will partner with You Can Play Project, the Women's National Team Players Association and the U.S. National Soccer Team Players Association uh, to celebrate the LGBTQ Pride Month is June. Uh, you Can Play Project is an organization dedicated to ensuring equality, respect, and safety for all athletes, coaches, and fans without regard for sexual orientation and or gender identity. And we'll have some links on our show notes to where maybe you want to get involved with that, give them some money, or do something like that. So really cool that they're doing that. And, you know, where there's a negative, there's a positive. You know, and that's what we have to look for. No, just... um. I can't really follow that, can I, really? That's, um, yeah, I'm sure everyone on the show echoes those thoughts. Um, one thing I was going to, because I didn't know you were going to do that, but one thing I wanted to ask you, I was thinking about this, we obviously have, the, the, both teams are wearing the rainbow numbers, and I know I like take the piss out of the men's team because they didn't qualify for the World Cup and, and et cetera and all that, but uh, as we've said, 99.99% of the people in the women's game are hugely supportive of this campaign. Do you think that it's probably more important? I mean, you, I know obviously they get all these pride nights and stuff and all every team's doing them, I think, now. Mm-hmm. Is it more important that that message is maybe more on the men's side? Because it feels that they're already preaching to the converted on the women's, whereas would it be more, you know what I mean, is it more need for this campaign in the men's side than the women's, which has, has got a long-established history of athletes that are out, uh, journalists that are out, fans that are out, etc. Whereas on the men's side, it's still kind of, it's still a very taboo subject. Does, did US soccer need to do more on the men's kind of thing? Is that more important, do you think? It's important on both sides, but for different reasons. I think in the women's game, it's more of an acceptance, like, we're here for you, we support you, we're not really saying anything that you don't already know. For the men's side, for those fans, it's like, hey, but let's educate you a little bit more. You know, and we're seeing this a lot in other sports. I went to the um, the Anaheim Ducks game uh, last season. You know, I go to a lot of Ducks games, and they had Pride Night, and they had actually their logo and Pride. And, of course, you know, sitting in the stands, <clears throat> they actually had a, um, a fundraiser with a chef who is an out gay chef. She's pretty famous, and she did, like, this dinner for this uh, charity for the Ducks. They had her on the big screen, and, and they had, like, the rainbow-colored Ducks logos and stuff. And... Just sitting in the stand, you could hear people kind of being snarky and stuff, you know, like that. Education, those are like, duck. I mean, hockey fans are a little bit different demo. You know, they're yeah. mostly hunters and they're driving their big trucks. And I'm not being, I'm not trying to stereotype. It's just the demo. I We do a lot of sponsorships with the Ducks in my, my job. And that's their demographic is just that. So they're a bunch of big old white boys, you know, and their trucker hats. And <laughs> for the most part, you know, the... <clears throat> you know, doing demographic studies and stuff. But um, so they're a little bit less sensitive to that. But, you know, that's how you change things, right? I mean, you bring it in a little slowly. And at U.S. Soccer and the men's and even MLS, if they're doing something for Pride Month and, you know, you're you're just educating more people and say, hey, you know, you guys are out there, you're our fans, and we don't want to ignore you. So I see what you're saying. It's it's important on both sides, but for different reasons. I guess that would be my And I suppose while we're on it, we might as well deal with the nettle. Um, what does Janine Hinkle do from now? Because, I mean, I know that she's playing incredibly well. I mean, the Courage absolutely ripped Portland a new one, didn't they? 
um, in midweek, winning 4-1 in Portland, smashing them all over the place. Um, what happens with her now? Because obviously she's got, I've, I've probably got more chance at playing for the United States Women's National <laughs> Team do. than she has at the moment. But where, where does her career go from here? Because I would suggest that if, if, if her form starts to drop even slightly, she's going to have a hard time getting another club in America, I think. Uh, yeah, I don't think some. I don't think anyone would touch her with a ten foot pole. I think that Paul Riley and um, Jess McDonald came out during the week, and they were they. You know, they said, "Hey, she's not affecting us. She's, you know, she's not hurting anybody," which is a complete farce, you know, in my eyes. You know, I don't really have to say much more about it than what I did in the intro. But um, I, I wouldn't touch her. I mean, I don't know. And she's playing on form, and she's a good player. There's no doubt about it. And probably in her heart, she thinks she's doing something good, but she's not. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't I don't have the answer to that and I don't put a lot of thought into it. I just uh, I just think it's really sad that that this had to happen right now, especially at this time when we're supposed to be practicing inclusivity and acceptance and support and we're talking about this. It just ah. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it is a fascinating one. It's I mean, a fascinating one. It's one we've never dealt with before. It's just you know, it's something yeah. we've never dealt with. Well, see, I, lo- I love like the whole man management. I mean, it, it, that kind of thing. You can imagine when the interview broke, what it was like at uh, Carolina HQ. Because I <laughs> obviously, you and I both get press releases, and even when teams get absolutely smashed, they put a positive, try and put a positive spin on it, don't they? But something like this, it's like you can imagine that the uh, PR company would have their head in their hands and stuff like that. Oh, but for sure. I suppose if there is a country that um, can get away with stuff, it probably is the US because you see some of the NFL players that have done Christ knows what with guns and all this kind of stuff and they still manage to worm their way onto a team somehow. I don't they do. I mean, I think we can all agree yeah. there's some pretty despicable characters worn NFL jerseys for various teams. Yeah, but here's the thing. is like there are religious players in the sport. I mean, there's a number of them, right? We see them on social media. They... they um, quote scripture and they do all this and and but they're not hateful and they're not homophobic and I think that's the the, di- the difference right now and when a kid go, looks out in the field and they see Megan Rapino and Ashlyn Harris and Aaron McLeod and you know all these great players of past Abby Wambach and Lori Lindsay have been always out and and you know they can see themselves you know it's like they wow they uh, they get me they understand me and then you get this one person who comes out with this hateful speak and then it triggers them back into maybe an old mindset or or a place where it wasn't safe it's really damaging so you know there's no need for that i mean be religious or whatever you know speak your truth whatever it is but don't be hateful and don't be hurtful i think that's what she's that's what north carolina is dealing with right now so let them deal with it you guys out there know that soccer is a safe place for you we're here for you we support you and uh, we'll just keep keep on keeping on and let's be positive and upbeat and be thoughtful, and be and be respectful, and be loving, and be kind. And if you have all that in your heart, then you know you're okay. So um, let's talk about the U.S. Women's National Team for a minute, since we're on. on yeah, let's talk about good old because good old Jill brought <laughs> her squad. Because you were complaining to me that when's the squad dropping? When's the squad dropping? And then about half an hour later, Jill actually released it. So I think that was just Jill giving you a big fu, really. <laughs> she always waits till the last minute, but boy, when she released this. Did you see the fireworks all the way in England? They were popping. Oh, it's. It, I mean, I've got my views on one or two, but yeah, it's. Okay. It's. I love it. I love it when a US squad's announced in the middle of the night, our time, and I can get up and before I go to work, I'm having a cup of tea and a biscuit, and just all the complete meltdown. It's. Um, <laughs> it's never um, dull, is it, when Jill gets the squads out? It's never, and just when you think she's got her team set, right? Just when you think she's looked at everybody she's wanted, she's wanted to look at. 
Um, the U.S. men's national team head coach Jill Ellis named 24 players for the preliminary roster for two upcoming matches in June against China. The games will take place on Thursday, June 7th at Rio Tinto Stadium in Sandy, Utah. Hey, I'll be there. Maybe I'll ask Jill a couple questions. Um, and then Tuesday, June 12th at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. Tuesday night in Cleveland. So Ellis will name 18 players to suit up for each of the matches. So there'll be six. Keep in mind, those are six players that won't be suiting up. But she's brought in four goalkeepers. Ashlyn Harris, of course, Alyssa Nair, and then Abby Smith, and first-time call-in Casey Murphy, who's here from Montpellier, France. She was named the number one goalkeeper in the, in the French League this year, Casey Murphy. Um, but uh, Abby Smith, so happy. I think Jill also listens to our show. Because remember we had Abby Smith on and I said, you know, it's only a matter of time before she gets, before Jill, t- Jill Ellis takes another look at Abby Smith. And bam, Adam, there she is. So hopefully when I'm in Utah, I'll get a chance to talk to Abby and just do a follow-up of our great interview that we did with her. Uh, six defenders, Abby Dahlkemper, Tierna Davidson, Sophia Huerta, Merritt Mathias, getting her first call in, Mitch Purse from Portland, getting her first call in, and Becky Sauerbrunn. Seven midfielders are in camp right now. Morgan Bryan from Lyon, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Carly Lloyd, Samantha Muiz, Allie Long, and McCall Zerboni from North Carolina getting another call, another look from Jill Ellis. Another look. Another look. Uh, and then seven forwards, packed with forwards. Crystal Dunn, Tobin Heath is back, Savannah McCaskill, Alex Morgan, Megan Rapino, Amy Rodriguez, A-Rod back in the mix, and then the biggie, Kristen Press in from Gothenburg, Sweden, back into Jill's good graces. So, so remember, out of the 24 players, I think I said 23 earlier, 24 players, 18 will suit up, um, but those are your in-camp players. Um, one note on, these, on this interesting roster, Jill Ellis named four uncapped players, um, including Casey Murphy. Abby Smith, Merritt Mathias, and Midge Purse. Abby Smith's been to camp once before, but of course she doesn't have a cap. So it'd be interesting in Utah, the Rio Tinto Stadium. Does Jill give Abby Smith a chance to play? I don't know. No. 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 We've seen this before, haven't we? We know that Jill gives zero Fs. I mean, I remember when they played down in Florida and they had Ashton Harris sat on the bench. And um, yeah, I I, I don't think. um, Obviously, she has impressed this year. Uh, but I don't see Jill. I think we know that Alyssa Nair is the number one, and I think the rest are just playing. Uh, fi- uh, I think Nair is number one, Harris is two, and the rest are just um, fighting yeah. for a free trip to, to France next year for a week. But I kind of feel a bit sorry for Jane Campbell because she's, you know, I don't think she's supposed to get booted out, but I suppose she wants Jill wants to have a look at everybody, and you know she's probably not going to play any other goalkeeper other than Alyssa Nair in these two matches. But. Um, yeah, I felt sorry for Jane, but it just shows you how strong the goalkeeping pool is, doesn't it, I suppose? Yeah, and these goalkeepers, I mean, every one of these goalkeepers that she has in camp right now, including Casey Murphy, have just been tearing it up on the league side. I mean, I mean, Abby Smith has been doing an awesome job. Everybody's talking about her. Even Jane Campbell is doing a great job. And then Ashlyn Harris had a fantastic game um, against Chicago uh, the other week. So... I don't know. It's it's interesting. Now, one of the questions I would do have, because um, I'm preparing my questions, you know, I'm going to be in camp with the U.S. Women's National Team next week. I'm going to talk to Jill a little bit about, you know, what she saw in Abby Smith that kind of made her want to get another look at her and, you know, also how she's scouting Casey Murphy and how she's doing. I, Casey Murphy, I think, is one of those players who's still so young 
that she wants to give her maybe some experience in camp. I think that that's where the Casey Murphy thing is. I think Abby Smith to me is a little bit more interesting because she has been around a little bit longer. She has had a chance to be in camp at one time before. So just kind of interesting on why now, why Abby Smith, why now? So I've got a lot of questions for Jill, but that's kind of one of them I think I'm gonna ask. For Canadian listeners out there, uh, your head coach, the women's national team new head coach, Kenneth Heiner-Muller, named his roster for an upcoming friendly against Germany on June 10th in Hamilton, Ontario. Canada and Germany, of course, rank fourth and third in the latest FIFA rankings. That June 10th match will be the first home match for Heiner Muller since taking the reins of Canada Soccer's women's national team um, last January. It'll also be Canada's first time back in Hamilton since a friendly match ahead of the FIFA Women's World Cup Canada 2015. So really exciting. I think they, they expect a, a good crowd there, but he did ha- he did name his 20-man, 20 20-woman 20 roster. <laughs> so let's go through it real quick, and then we'll get into our first interview. Two goalkeepers are in camp, Stephanie LeBay and Aaron McLeod. We have got our uh, defenders, Lindsay Agnew, Alicia Chapman, Ashley Lawrence, Emma Reagan, 18-year-old from North Vancouver, Shannon Wooler, Shalina Zadorsky, Kadisha Buchanan, in from Lyon, Rebecca Quinn, the 22-year-old playing at Washington Spirit right now, really fun to watch, Sophie Schmidt, yeah. Yeah. Jesse Fleming, uh, Diana Matheson, Julia Grosso, 17-year-old, another one from Vancouver, and Desiree Scott, Winnipeg native, playing for the Utah Royals. And then the forwards, Christine Sinclair, Deanne Rose, the 19-year-old, so much youth on this team, Janine Becky, your favorite, Adriana Leon, and Nichelle Prince, another uh, NWSL player. So that that's the, the Canada team that will face Germany in Hamilton. It's Jesse Fleming. Did you say her name or not? Yeah, Jesse Fleming's there. The 20-year-old from UCLA. So, like I said, so many youth. I'm just going down this this roster, and it's like, sure, you got you know Aaron McLeod, who's 34. Steph LeBay is 31. Um, you know the older people that have been there, be, you know, a while. Um, I'm just looking. How old is uh, you know Diana Matheson, 34? I think Diana Matheson, Christine Sinclair are the two oldest on the team. And then these, these young kids coming in, you know, from 17 to 23 years old, that's basically the majority of the Canada team right now. Um, so really fun to see that mixture of good veterans, young up-and-coming stars. And so that leads us to our next guest. And, you know, speaking of we, all these great Canadians that I just named, I mean, we've had a lot of these great Canadians on the show in the past. We've had Christy Sinclair and D-Math and Aaron McLeod. Sophie Smith. Sophie Smith. Sophie Smith. <laughs> Uh, Jordan Haitamo, who's not on this roster, um, surprisingly enough. Uh, I don't know if she's hurt or something. Uh, yeah, Sophie Schmidt twice. Oh, no, three times. <laughs> Sophie on three yeah, times. Yeah, we've had one sit-down and two post-game ones. So yeah, yeah. Of course, that gives us time to use the Schmidt Bits jingle. Schmidt Bits! Schmidt Bits! We haven't done a Schmidt Bits in a long time. And, I don't. Yeah, well... And, I've, got a Schmidt bit. I've got a Schmidt Bit later, though, for um, when we chat. Oh, cool. Just a bit. Uh, plus, we've had a lot of uh, old-timers. We had KK on and Wilkie and... Oh, and... Kadisha Buchanan we had on too. But you know, to say that we've had the core of the Canada team on the show would be misleading until now. Desiree Scott, in my opinion, not only the captain of the midfield on the Canada team, but I think she's the heart of that whole offense. And she's a player who really pushes the attack from the back. You know, the more she touches the ball, or is even around the ball, the more opportunities there are to score. 
And now she's brought all her skill, talent, leadership to the Utah Royals FC. And I'll tell you, if, if anyone has had the opportunity to watch the Royals this season, you can't ignore what this Scott is doing. She's a beast, a destroyer. Uh, <laughs> she's really taken a leadership role on the team and dictates the run of play. I mean, she's so important to the Royals right now. As we saw in a recent road win against Sky Blue when they won their first road game of the season. What am I saying? The first road win in franchise history for the Royals. <laughs> their long, illustrious history. Um, anyway, I wanted to get Des Scott on the show to chat about her game, her unique style, playing in Utah, and also look at the Canada team and so much more. So, oh, oh one thing about this interview, uh, we had a kind of a bad phone connection. There were times I had to kind of stop the interview because I just couldn't hear her. You know, she's out in the mountains of Utah, so that kind of happens. So apologize for the uh, sound quality at times. I was able to fix it up, but I'll probably go back and transcribe the interview and then put it on our blog page so you guys can read it in case you missed some words here and there. So with that said, so excited. Here's my interview with the one and only Desiree Scott. Joining us is one of the more popular players in women's soccer. She has over 130 caps for the Canadian women's national team, a two-time Olympic bronze medal winner, and now running the midfield for the Utah Royals. Please welcome Desiree Scott. The Destroyer. Hey, Des, thank you for coming on the show. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> well, uh, we really appreciate it. I know you're super busy, and I called you The Destroyer. You've had that nickname for a long time. Do you remember the first time someone called you The Destroyer or where it originated from? Yeah, I love the nickname. I've heard off the jump a little. You know, my play sort of resembles that Destroyer mm-hmm. that comes over to me, and I just remember in 2012, um, our Olympic qualifier, our coach John Herdman at the time, had an interview and he just said, no, she's destroying out there. And then from there, she stopped doing that the Destroyer two years later. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. You live up to it. I try to, yeah. <laughs> so I know you've um, finished up. I'm really excited to talk to you about Utah because it's so exciting to know what we're seeing over there. And I know you just finished up a lengthy homestead in Utah. I think you guys played four straight at home, which is kind of unheard of in this league. But how has it helped you as far as getting to know your new surroundings, your new home, community, and things? Yeah, I mean, I think having a home series like that, like you said, it's not usually like it. It's different for time at home. And I think it just helps to build a routine. You know, you get in your daily training environment, you're building relationships, you're building momentum. And then, you know, at the end of the week, you've got your favorite day, game day. So um, it's been great just being able to get settled here and, you know, just now you played a year at Knotts County, a team that's no longer around. You played at FCKC, no longer around. Unfortunately, that's kind of the sad reality in women's club football. What do you see different in Utah that you didn't see in those other clubs? Or what makes this organization special? Yeah, I hope it's not me. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other team I play for. Hopefully, that's not the same year, but... Um, you know, I think the biggest thing about um, this is just that we have, we're associated with the men's club. We have, you know, an ownership and a community that's completely behind us and wants to support us in every way possible. And I think, you know, we just have that solid foundation here to build something really special. Um, and, you know, we've got some great players here, you know, some big U.S. name players, some big Canadian players, players from Australia, all over the world, Iceland. So just really just, it's come full circle with the amount of support that we're getting and the players that we've been able to recruit to come to Utah. Yeah, talking about that support, and opening day at Rio Tinto was crazy, and you guys are still bringing in the big crowds. 
Now, I, I know that you're used to playing in front of huge crowds, crowds with the national team. Is it different on a club level to experience crowds like that, or do you just kind of tune it out? Um, no, I enjoy playing in front of the big crowds. I think they, you know, bring the energy and they raise that level and you know, let's tackle or pass get spotted. And I think it kind of makes the game more fun. Um, in past seasons, we haven't had, we've had great fans who've blown us around, but maybe not, the, you know, the number that we're getting here. 19,000 on our home opener. I think the referee is getting 8,000 every game that we have here in Utah. So it's just great to have that kind of support and keep getting these out. Yeah, now, now you've played under some great coaches in your career. How do you like playing for Laura Harvey? I love it. Um, I have heard great things about her within the league. I've played against her, obviously, because she was coaches for Seattle. Um, if I wasn't going to have Blackboard my coach, Laura Harvey was the next best thing for sure. I think she's just such a great coach. She allows you a bit of ownership and, and allows you to play freely, but with a little bit of tactics and, you know, her her mind is incredible. She works film after the game, so, you know, any questions you have are being answered. She also asks, you know, what do you think? And she wants your opinion on things. And she's really just, it's a two-way conversation, which is really cool. And she really knows her stuff, so it's, it's been great so far. Is she allowing you kind of the freedom to be yourself? Because you're kind of known for playing your own kind of game. Yeah, I mean, it's free reign. You know, yeah. I think uh, the coach you know, gets stuck in, makes that big chat, when I think that's what I thrive on, but that's also what coaches try and tell me, you know, make that first big tackle, make a statement. So she's allowed me to play free and, and sort of do what I can, you know, bring her to play and, and get the ball forward when I can. Yeah, it's been super fun watching you guys play. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm loving it so far. And I think each week that we play, you know, the chemistry is building, our momentum is building, and we had a few ties there to start the season off, but we got our first win, and I just think we're starting to gel and really come together as a team now. Yeah, you can see the momentum. And Speaking of new coaches, uh, you have a new head coach on the national team in Kenneth Heiner-Moller. How's the team adjusting to the change, and especially since Coach Herdman was so intricate for so many years? Yeah, I mean, luckily Kenneth was our assistant coach for the last years. He was like the one completely new was coming in, which I think could have been a bit tougher for the transition. You know, having John, who was such an incredible mentor and coach, who just that his soccer brain was uncanny and he was a huge part of my success with our team's success and to get on that podium back to back with him. So at first we were kind of like, I don't know if John's leaving us, what are we going to do here? Mm-hmm. But um, it was kind of a smooth transition with Kenneth, him being our assistant or familiar face, you know, similar uh, playing style and you know, sort of mindset of game. Um, and he knows all of us players. So it was kind of, yeah, it's been smooth, to be mm-hmm. honest. And, and we're loving him. He brings his own kind of energy and his own, you know, style. And I, I think it's been great. Cool. And speaking of Canada, it's a very different team than the one that we saw at the 2015 Women's World Cup. I mean, even 2016 Olympics. So going into World Cup qualifiers, what can the fans kind of expect to see in this team than they had in the past? Yeah, I think we've had, you know, we've lost some of our veterans to retirement and, uh, you know, since 2015, 2016. But we've got our core group still there. Uh, but now we've brought in, you know, some of the young ones who were you saw in Rio, but now they're really just, they're starting, they're making, you know, a name for themselves, and they're really just coming up, you know, we've got pace up front, we've got people who can live on the ball and be brave, and that's kind of an exciting ground of soccer, you know, playing out of the back and being more comfortable on the ball, obviously we're going to bring our defensive DNA, you know, start getting you know, that Canadian grip, mm-hmm. but I think now you're going to see, you know, a team who likes, who enjoys being on the ball a bit more, and who are doing their bravery, you know, when we have possession. Now, among the the young players on the Canadian women's national team, are, is there one player in particular who you've kind of taken under your wing or mentored? Um, I mean, I feel like a mama bear. 
question is kind of for our young footballers listening and our old footballers too I guess uh but you have a very we talk about it very unique style of playing some call it you know aggressive I call it fearless I think that you're so fearless uh when did you develop your style of play was it something that you consciously worked on or did it evolve evolve uh naturally I I kind of think it evolved naturally I I'm quite competitive I think anyone who plays professional sport is a competitor but um, for me, I hated to lose, you know, if I got left to run, that was something that, like, really hurt me to my core, and I think um, it's just something that, yeah, sort of developed over time with not wanting to lose, and, you know, that work ethic of, you know, making those big tackles, and that's what I enjoy, that's my bread and butter. Um, some people may call it aggressive, but for me, I, I think it's just part of who I am, and part of, you know, the game and the style of play that I, I try to break every day, and um, yeah, I mean, I love being the destroyer, and I think it's it makes a movement. I need to stay true to me. So, yeah, those big tackles going down the line is just what I love. Now, when you were younger, did you ever have a coach or maybe an adult to kind of tell you to kind of dial it back or try to change your style? You'd be surprised. I think that's pretty normal. Like, red cards and yellow cards. Like, no, to be honest, all the coaches have been just so supportive to be your dad's partner and do what you can do. You know, get stuck in, make those tackles. Mm-hmm. kind of like, like pre-game prep of what they said, you know, get stuck in. So, mm-hmm. um, no. Well, I know it's you know, like I said, it's super fun to watch. I, you know, when we're rooting for you in the in the club level, it's fantastic. When you're playing against the United States, it's kind of different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are always fun games. <laughs> so I know we're talking coaching. It seems like a lot, but I know that you're doing you do a lot of coaching in the off season. What's the one piece of advice that you give to to young aspiring footballers who dream of? kind of having a professional soccer career someday like you do? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty simple and straightforward, and I, I do believe, you know, first you've got to love what you're doing. Um, you know, I love what I do every day. I'm working way back and play soccer since my 30s and still be traveling the world doing what I want. But one, you've got to love what you're doing. And two, I think the hard work always stays off. You know, if you want to work for something, and you never know where an opportunity will take you. One last question I have for you. Of course, being from Winnipeg, you're a big hockey fan. And I know that you're disappointed that the Jets didn't make it into the Stanley Cup final. But it was exciting. Yeah, it's going to be incredible. I've been watching the series coming along. with the white on. I've got my, you know, white jersey on and my t-shirt ripped in the city. And it's exciting time. Uh, just a side note, we had Lindsay Agnew and Michelle Prince on recently. As a Canadian, you'll be embarrassed. We asked them who they thought would win the Stanley Cup, and number one, neither of them knew who was in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they both said the Maple Leafs. So this was <laughs> this was after they were eliminated. Yeah, you probably didn't say Winnipeg. I post about it all the time, so I'll have to have a word. Funny. Yeah, we'll chat. Uh, Scott, so. Awesome to talk with you. Uh, thank you for taking the time to come on the show. We really uh, appreciate it. We know you're super busy. 
and then we get the new teams that are coming in. So we have Charlton, who won the FA Women's, they won the third division playoff against Blackburn at Bramall Lane the couple, last weekend. Then we have Lewis. Now they're a fascinating club because they play down on the south coast. Their men's team are kind of like well down the pyramid. I'm talking like seventh or eighth division, but they do pay their men's players and their women's players exactly the same. So fantastic club down there. Then we have some biggish name, big names coming in. We've got Leicester City, former Premiership winners, not too long ago. They've got a team, Sheffield United, who we're going to talk a little bit about in a moment, and of course the big fish that everyone really is talking about is Manchester United, who are coming. They are really taking it deadly seriously. They're going to be full-time. I've heard rumours about a certain goalkeeper that they're signing and and obviously this heavily tip that Casey Stoney is probably going to be the Manchester United manager. Wow. But, yeah, big big news. So they're really, going to, they're really going for it, it would appear. So, yes, that's been the big news that finally Manchester United have joined. It's kind of over... The other teams have kind of been overshadowed by that one big story, but obviously... Man United are one of the biggest clubs in the world, so that's why it's made the headlines. But you'll notice that two teams, we've lost two teams from the top two tier. It looks, um, well, Oxford and um, Watford will no longer be in the second they've lost their licence, although I, Oxford did tweet that they've been put into the third division, so I think we'll probably see them in the third. I don't know about Watford. and Absolutely. So by the time this show goes out, we may know what the fate of those three other teams those two teams that you just mentioned are not a surprise, but Sunderland is kind of a surprise. And um, what do you know what went into like the FA's decision? And I heard that Sunderland might be appealing. Sunderland are appealing. The problem, well, with Sunderland, it go is quite a deep problem for the last uh, four or five years. Maybe the Sunderland Football Club as a whole has been going through a pretty uh, torrential time. I mean, they they kind of dodged relegation from the Premier League on the last day two or three times that then caught up to them they were relegated they then dropped straight through the second division in the men's into the third so mm. there has been a buyout there and uh, the new owners are kind of wanted to want to really try and start putting the things right but I think it, it was a bad ownership group that they had they, they, they kind of said they weren't appealing we knew they weren't going to be in FAWSL1 because that came out the back end of last year so I think they kind of thought they would be in FAWSL too, but they, they don't seem to have got that. Now the FA Women's Championship, as it's they're going to be called next year, the second division. So I, I, they must, I think they've got to, got to be in the third division. And it's so sad because they got 14 points last year. They played really well. And if you look at the players that have come through Sunderland over the years, it's, it's ridiculous, the talent. They've had players like Jill Scott's come through there. Steph Horton's come through there. You know, Lucy Bronze. You can do, the list just goes on and on and on. It's one of the big conveyor belts of talent, and what that also means is that's a big area of England. So you've got like the northeast that hasn't got a team in FAWSL one. That's a huge catchment area for players. I know we've got Durham in FAWS in the. I keep calling it. We've got Durham in the Championship. Uh, it'll take me a while to get used to these huge names, but in about three years I'll probably <laughs> got it, and then they'll change it again. But yes, that is a really sad one because. You know, say the talent that's come through. Jordan Nobbs, another one. Oh. You know, the, the talent that, that comes through Sunderland, uh, and all of a sudden that pathway isn't there to the top flight. So it's it's quite sad, really. That very sad indeed. And you know, when people like Katie and John, who you know, huge su- supporters of Sunderland. You know, Katie, the former guest that we had on Sunderland fan talking about it. It's um, it really is a sad time because. Sunderland actually had a really good season last year that caused a lot of teams' problems. And you look at it on a sporting perspective, Yeovil got two points 
all season. I'm not not mm. picking on Yeovil. I'm not yeah. saying Yeovil don't deserve to be there, but right. if you look at it purely from a sporting perspective, Yeovil got two points and they're in next year. Sunderland got 14 and they're probably going to be in the third division. So it's it's tough. Yeah. So um, obviously it was a big busy week for all the teams that have been successful and unsuccessful, but. I was actually quite lucky to be able to grab a word with uh, Sheffield United captain Sophie Bell. Now, I'll hold my hand up here. I have been to watch Sheffield United over the years quite regularly, maybe a game, two games a season when Lincoln have been away because it's only 40 minutes on the train and it's a good day out and the ground's in the centre of the city. And Sheffield is a great city, by the way. For people that don't know, it's big for its musical heritage. You've got bands like Def Leppard, the Human League, uh, all kinds of things. So it is really, it's it's a good city to go clubbing in. It's kind of an up-and-coming city. The World Snooker Championships are held there. And they have two... They've got two big-ish clubs. You've got Sheffield United, who are in the centre, and Sheffield Wednesday, who play up in the north. And Sheffield United, Bramall Lane, it's downtown. They've been in the Premier League a few times. Mm. Uh, great history in the men's football. And I was I was really excited that this club's got a licence because this is a club going places. And um, I think we should just play the interview with Sophie, where we... It's not a long interview. We just basically chat about a player's perspective, about how it um, how it felt, this process, because it's been a long, drawn-out process. People have not been knowing their futures. It's been an anxious time for a lot of players and supporters all over the country. So I wanted to get Sophie Bell's reaction. So here we are. Right then, obviously we've had some big news this week in the FAWSL with the launch of um, the new franchises for next season. And one of the ones I'm excited about, because it's not too far away from me, is the fact that Sheffield United will be competing in the FA Women's Championship, as we think it's going to be known. And I'm absolutely delighted to talk about this and to welcome Sheffield United captain Sophie Bell to the show. So welcome to the show, Sophie. Yeah, nice to meet you. No, I should really big thanks to you for interrupting your holiday to talk about this. Um, I, I really am pleased you come on the show. Uh, no problem, no problem. Thanks for having us. <laughs> so, so what what was it like when you first found out that after all the hard work that's gone on behind the scenes at Bramall Lane that you'll be playing in the championship next season? Oh, it was crazy, really. Um, we sort of we've gone backwards and forwards with what whether we thought we were going to get it, um, whether we thought we weren't. Um, on our presentation out we watched the, the video from the bid that went in um, we all saw how good that was and then I was away obviously when the news came out and uh, both me and my other half had been we've been checking our phones all morning just to see um, and yeah it was it's exciting yeah and Sheffield United for people that don't know and around the world they are a big club in, in the area aren't they and the stadium at Bramall Lane and the infrastructure it's just crying out for something like this isn't it oh yeah definitely the facilities there are, it it's ridiculous, really. Uh, we train at their um, academy, and we've played obviously Bramall Lane quite a few times this season. And yeah, the the whole setup down from the people to the facilities is r- ridiculously good. Yeah, really good. Yeah, and what's this period been like as a player? Because obviously people haven't known who's going to be in what division, and I know that a lot of work goes off. I mean, people have been bidding. You know, the work to put these bids in starts over a year ago. I mean, what um, has as a player? What's it like having that uncertainty? Um, yeah, it's been a bit strange, really. Um, it's definitely been a... We've said this season seems, seems really long. Um been all sorts of things going on. Um, obviously, sort of training... Although we've not been a, a Super League club this year, we've sort of trained and run ourselves almost as though we are. Um, the professionalism uh, that's been sort of required from us and, and all the other staff and players um, has really stepped up. And so... That, I, I found that as a good thing. Um, I really enjoyed that side of it. Uh, the intensity of training obviously increased a lot more. And also things like um, 
constantly being sort of asked, can you, can you go and do these photos or can you talk to this person? Um, and we've had a lot more chats to sort of talk about it um, recently and people have been really interested, which has been really good. But yeah, it, it has, it's been a bit crazy, really. Yeah, because everyone knows Sheffield is the home of football. It was like the original club there, and you're going to got some fascinating games next season. You've got locking horns with Sheffield FC just down the road in Dronfield, and then Doncaster Bells as well, haven't you? One of the biggest names in in England. So it must be an exciting time. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, got some amazing local derbies lined up, which I'm sure will be will be very good. Um, but also like the chance to play some teams that I know I myself haven't played as a player, so. Uh, playing teams down in London. Um, although we've been playing sort of over quite a large distance this season and a couple of other seasons previously, we've never well, been at the club. We've never been in a national league before that takes in the whole country. So that is that in itself is exciting. Yeah, that must be a challenge for you because, as you say, last season you were in the northern section. But looking at the fixtures next season, you're going to be travelling down to places like Lewis and stuff like that. So I assume that it's going to be another. A, another step for the club to go forward isn't it doing like long trips, distance trips maybe overnight is that, that kind of thing oh yeah definitely so we've sort of already stepped up the professionalism and all those sorts of things have changed but this is sort of an, another step further in that um, I'm sure training will increase tenfold again and with that the intensity but also things like the travelling um, and, and things like that as well um, will increase and it's, it's more of a demand sort of on, on players and things but the reward is that you get to play these good teams um, and, yeah, be involved. Yeah, and, and Sheffield United is a big community club as well, isn't it? I know you do a lot of work with in the inner city and everything. And Have you noticed women's football really taking off in the city since the Blades have really kind of gone on this kind of, you know, mission really with women's football? Oh, definitely. Uh, we've seen an increase in people coming down um, training. Um, we've had the, the little Jessie, she's been coming down a lot recently. Um, and I'm a, I'm a primary school teacher in the area and I, I, I see lots of girls now interested. Um, my class, we're always getting footballs out and it's the girls who are just as interested as the boys. They want to play. Um, it's really, really nice to see. Yeah. And just for fun, what do the uh, Wednesday fans in your primary school class think? I assume you have a few, do you? Or? Well, unfortunately, my other half, the uh, Wednesday season ticket holder. <laughs> um, and, uh, but he, to be fair, he... he it says how, how brilliant it is and how, how much of a shame it is that not all teams have this interest in the women's football that United have shown in us. Mm. Um, but, yeah... Yeah, because I know United do, I mean, you, you travel on the men's team's coach, don't you? And obviously your presentation at Bramall Lane and, and you, it looks like you're going to be playing there next season as well. I must, um, it must be great to feel part of, of a big club like that. And also, did you ever think that you'd see this day that we'd be this developed in England with women's football? Well, yeah, firstly, like the facilities and all those sort of things, yeah, we, we do really feel like they're part of the club now. Um, we, people uh, like people high up in the club, the players sort of all know us, all speak to us, and they know what's going on. But they're always wanting to find out our results. Um, the presentation night at Bramall Lane was, was amazing. Um, the work that went into it and sort of the overall night as a whole was, was really, really good. Um, I've played for this club now for four seasons and back in the my first season and I don't think I ever saw this happening really um, but yeah the the whole interest in the, the city's really really uh, stepped up and it, it's kind of deserving of a, a a team in the Super League I think yeah, and of course the team that, you know, apart from yourselves, the other one that everyone's talking about is Manchester United coming in that must be a fast, fascinating challenge looking horns with them oh brilliant yeah as a 
as a, a player, you sort of Manchester United are always going to be up there, uh, regardless of sort of um, where their teams come from and, and that sort of thing. It's just the the name itself is is something that makes people sit up and listen and, and want to want to watch and want to be involved with and want to sort of see the game. Yeah, great stuff. Well, I won't keep you any any longer, Sophie, because I know you're on a holiday and stuff, and um, I appreciate you. I really appreciate you taking the time out. But uh, I'll be coming along to the lane to cover some of your games this year, so I'll see you later. And all the best for the future. Brilliant. All right. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks a lot. So thank you to Sophie for coming on the show. It. Um, I, I say I don't. I didn't realise she was on a holiday. Uh, but um, yeah, these. Uh, she. You could tell how excited she is and. Certainly a buzz around Sheffield United next season, I think. Yeah, you can almost hear that even a sense of relief, like you said, like with all that uncertainty and all of a sudden now you, now they kind of have a direction and they can kind of focus on on the future. Very personable. Boy, I, I give her a lot of credit for taking time out of her vacation to talk to you. Exactly. I mean, most people <laughs> don't do that. No. <laughs> yes. But, uh, yeah, that was the big news, really. Well, we're getting more big names. I mean, it's good that there's still a route for like smaller clubs, such as teams like Lewis and Yeovil and things. So they're not getting totally left behind. But when you see like um, Leicester coming in, and Manchester United and Sheffield United, and Charlton obviously are a biggish club as well. Although the men's team's going through a pretty rough time at the moment, only being in the third division in England. But yeah, it's I'm kind of now I feel a bit relieved. Now it's all out. Now we know who's in and who's not. Again, sorry for the three teams that, that missed out, but I think they'll at least have a league and at least have a club at some mm-hmm. point. So um, that's that's been the good news. And credit to you too, Adam, because you've been only the only person I know is actually going out and talking to these littler teams, or what we consider little teams, and and getting to know them. We had the Sheffield manager on last year as well, you know, and that's that's all you, you know, going out there and and giving these people a spotlight to talk about the league and helping to grow the game over there and. So uh, credit to you. I just want to give you a little oh, attaboy. <laughs> Keep yeah, doing what you're doing. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Not normally people don't do that. I have to blow my own trumpet. I know. Well, you know, I thought so. Because I was looking at some of the like the bigger uh, teams are doing a lot of signing. A Man City just signed a former guest on the show. Someone else that you went out and got a great interview with, Caroline Wire. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so like we're seeing a lot of City signing a lot of players actually right now. So it's nice to spotlight these alert teams and see what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll start seeing signings coming thick and fast. And one little piece of news that I do want to say. Now, I, I didn't, um, it involves Notts County. Now, I didn't say anything on Twitter on this because I know my view is probably going to be uh, swimming against the tide on this one, like I tend to do no. quite often. But it was announced, the Notts County have announced that they are going to be resetting a women's team up. Uh, they're going to probably have, they're going to start at the bottom leagues, I think, and they're going to work their way up. Now, I thought this was a, a really good move. Now, unfortunately, a lot of like former Notts County ladies fans are up in arms and not my lady pies. I don't want to do with this. This isn't my club. <laughs> why? And, I don't understand. Well, I don't, and th- this is why. Okay, I mean, maybe we all know the history of the former Notts County ladies. They were the Lincoln franchise, and then got moved and plonked there. So, I actually think this is a really positive. This is this actually is a proper. Notts County team, okay? They're starting at the bottom. It's probably going to be lots of local girls from the Nottingham area. And, yeah, you're not going to go to these big grounds. It's going to be smaller clubs. But you're going to have the joy of watching your team work your way up through the leagues. And what you have to remember is the the original Notts County ladies weren't Notts County. It was basically Lincoln rebranded, repackaged and plonked there. This is different. This is actually a team which is being 
fascia is being built. It's being going through the leagues in Nottingham. And I, I just think it's a good, you know, I live in Nottinghamshire myself. I, I think it's a, a good move. I mean, I, yes, it's going to take a while and you're not going to be seeing top international players. But a lot of these girls playing are probably going to be Notts County fans. They're, they're going to be playing for the badge. And I'm just going to, you know, I've seen a lot of like hate about it and spleel. But I, I think if people just can't, I can understand the anguish of losing a team. I had, I went through it when Lincoln well, got got uh, moved. It, you know, it, it's not a nice feeling. It's absolutely horrible. And I, you know, the, there's me. I've talked about it on national radio and stuff like that, and written lots of articles about that kind of thing. But I, I think this is a positive thing, and I, I think you just need to get behind them. I don't think slagging them off on Twitter or Facebook is going to help. And I know that there was anguish when the club went, but I, and, and the owner, you know, he, he got a lot of flack. But you know. He, He's not, you know, Notts County aren't Manchester City. They can't just write off, you, you know, when you look at the numbers to run a, uh, an FAWSL franchise, it's very, very expensive. Yeah. You know, Yeovil and teams like that who have had to crowdfund and, penny, and scrap for every penny to keep it going. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just think this Notts County team, I think it will slowly work the way up the league and I think this would be a good thing. So, yeah, I, 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 I didn't tweet about it because I knew, you know, I've been busy and stuff and I just couldn't be doing with all the hate on Twitter. So I thought I would use this platform that I have to uh, say my piece on that. Well done. Thank you. So, um, now I've got that off my chest, I think we'll interview, we'll introduce our next guest. And um, one of the clubs that we've kind of, the first couple of years, if you remember, when FAWSL2 set up, one of the kind of running jokes on this show was the London Bees, because at the time they, they had a tough, they had a tough time adapting to the uh, demands of that level of football. The first couple of seasons were really tough for them. They finished in the bottom two places and had some heavy defeats. But really, over the last couple of seasons, the London Bees have really impressed a lot of people, both on and off the field. The way they've come back, they're much more competitive in every game. They're getting some good young players and they've kind of got to grips with it now. It took a while, but they've been very competitive in a lot of games. And I wanted to get a player on to chat about that. And I thought, who better than young defender? Ocean Rowlandson. Now, Ocean's had a great career. She's still very young. She started at Charlton, played for, then went to spend a few years at Chelsea, then went from Chelsea to Millwall, and has been the London Bees this season. She's been with them. So I, I thought it'd be great to chat with her. Uh, we reached out to um, Next Gen Sports Solutions, who, who are her management, and we managed to get this uh, great interview with her. So let's play the tape and enjoy. I hope you all enjoy my interview with Ocean. Now then, my next guest on the Women's World Football Show is one of the brightest up-and-coming defenders in England. She's formerly played for Charlton, Chelsea, Millwall, and is currently at the London Bee. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome defender Ocean Rollinson to the show. So welcome to the show, Ocean. Hello, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for taking time out on this sunny back holiday to come on the show. Good. Now, firstly, before we get into the interview, it's literally broken in the last hour and a half or so that the London Bees have got a franchise in the new setup. It uh, you must be delighted with that because I imagine it's a nervous time for players. Yeah, definitely. I'm completely over the moon that we've got a place in next year's championship. Um, I just think that where all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes at Bees, we deserve nothing more, really. So I'm really delighted for everyone at the club. Yeah, and you're going to be pitting your wits against some like big names in English football, the likes of Manchester United and Sheffield United. It must be quite quite exciting. Yeah, no, it's going to be like a breath of fresh air, so I'm very excited. 
Mm, good. And the London Bees have had a great year. You've had your highest um, finish in FAWSL this season. Uh, how satisfying was it when you look back at the progress that the club's made? Because you've been competitive in every game. Yeah, of course. Like It's been a great season for us, probably towards the end. But at the beginning of the season, we made things really difficult for ourselves. So pre-season went well. We won a lot of games, prepped as best as we could as a new team that was formed. But we also experienced big injuries, which had a knock-on effect at the beginning of the season. Um, we were losing pretty much every game and losing through silly mistakes. And of course, it's never nice losing multiple games on the trot. But the main thing was that we kept a strong mentality within the group. We mm. trained and we tried that little extra harder on the training ground to make sure that we made the difference to win or secure points in the table. And we finally got what we deserved probably towards the end of the Christmas period. Um, I think we definitely deserved more points in the table for the majority of our performances that we probably produced throughout the season, but that's football. And I guess you could probably say that's a bit biased from coming from me, but at these we all want the best for each other. So, of course, it was a good feeling that we reached the highest point ever in London Bees league tally, but we're all wanting and expecting more from this squad. So, yeah. And FAWSL2, I, I tell people you know, around the world that FAWSL2 is so competitive, isn't it? Because every, every game's a battle in that league. And I think the year just gone has probably been the best it has ever been, hasn't it? it you couldn't really go into any game knowing who's going to win. Yeah, definitely. I feel like even though the new, the new rule came out with like within the league saying how nobody can get relegated this season, I think everybody in the league pushed that to the side and just carried on playing the way that they wanted to play. Everyone wanted to win and I'm just glad that there's still a mentality within women's football that we don't kind of, you know, go towards the idea that we don't matter because obviously we do matter. So I'm just happy with how everyone's played this season, especially at London Bees. Yeah. And you're a very busy busy girl. You've got your football. You're also uh, studying to a high level at university. How important is it for a young player such as yourself to have guidance and help from uh, Reese and the team at Next Gen Sports Solutions? And is it a weight off your mind having somebody like that who can deal with that kind of thing for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, having a support system behind you that can cater for you like what the next gen sports do it's a relieving feeling um, they can provide all help and guidance that I need as a young player and I'm just grateful for the opportunity to come around it's definitely taking a weight off my shoulders knowing that I can go to university or football knowing that I can put my full concentration into it and with little stress because I'm definitely a massive stress head with trying to stay organised or to sort something out where there's so much going on so I'm just happy that I've been given the opportunity to work with Reese and the team Yeah, it's uh, it's what the women's game's been needing for a long time isn't it this kind of guidance and, and helping with people really because it's, it's people think it's easy but it's not is it you really do need help with that kind of thing yeah definitely because I feel like where women's game is still behind the men's with financial costs and whatnot, it's hard to you know give up the, like full time job just for part time work sort of thing so it helps so much that there's a support system behind me to help me with my education as well as my football career so yeah, yeah. and how do you think your game's developed uh, with the bees this year I'm definitely one of the biggest critiques of myself when it comes to how I perform on the pitch so I would say that 
I probably started developing my games at Bees before Christmas break when I finally got the chance to play in my correct position as full-back because at the beginning of the season I was playing as a centre-back. So I was just grateful that I got given the opportunity to finally play as a full-back. But where the squad is full of competition and even though I felt like I deserved to be in the starting eleven, I had to obviously patiently wait for my time. Um, I haven't really had much exposure to being a fullback in my first official season in the Women's League, but when I finally got given the opportunity, I felt like that in each game I was able to progress in each and every area as a fullback. Um, it's hard, especially as being a young player and obviously in my first full season of a Women's League, um, trying to figure out what is the wrong or right thing to do in a game. But you have to make those mistakes to learn and to improve. And I definitely improved each game with good and, you know, questionably bad uh, decisions. I felt like the, the more minutes that, that I was getting, the more I was becoming confident. So mm-hmm. I was pushing myself a little extra in that game, in each game, and to focus on particular things and my attacking attributes as a fullback. So to be honest, I think I have developed a lot um, because even in the last couple of games I've played, the confidence has literally grown from me and I've luckily got some assists yeah. on the... Yeah, I've luckily got some assists in the book, so I'm really happy about that. Yeah, it's always good for a defender when they chip in at the other end as well, isn't it? You can give the forwards and wingers a bit of stick, can't you? Yeah, definitely. Especially when it came off my week of foot. So All right. I'm even more happier. Yeah, I bet you told everybody about that, didn't you? Oh, yeah, everywhere. <laughs> I went on Twitter and everything. <laughs> um, one of the big parts of the Bees' defence, apart from yourself, has been a player that we've had on the show. Um, she's well-liked throughout the Wounds game, and that's Nick Hobbs, who's a full-time firefighter. Uh, still lives lives up here in like the South Yorkshire area and commutes down to, to London. It's um, What... As a defender, how big is it to have a, a good presence like that in goal? It must help you somewhat. Yeah, honestly, Nick Hogg is a, is probably the best goalkeeper that I've played with. She has helped me grow as a player, and is definitely and that's something definitely special to have as like an attribute as a player. Nick Hogg, Nick Hogg finds the impossible because she can literally do anything. So I'm pretty sure she's like the real life. Wonder Woman. <laughs> I can easily put my full trust in Nick and I over that because with the qualities that she brings to the squad it's just unreal. She would always like communicate with, communicate with me on the pitch when no one else would. She'll pull out a worldy save even when the game was nearly over or even the littlest things where she's tying somebody's shoelaces up with her <laughs> goalkeeper gloves. So it's a shame that she's leaving, but Nick Hodds has definitely made an impact on the club and has made London Bees become something more than what it has ever been. So Great great words, great words. Um, how What's the last 18 months been for you, like as a player? Because obviously we had the spring series, we had a very short break, then we're into the main series. And this is all on top of your university education as well. I mean, how have you managed to do it all? Because it, be, it must be very busy this last 18 months. Yeah, well, to be honest, the spring series flew by quite quickly. So I felt like it was... With the quick turnaround, it was literally just an extended league with a lot of pre-season fitness in it. So where I've been playing football for a while, as well as being in education, I've always had to balance everything all at once anyway. It's something that you have to do when you are dedicated to both commitments. 
And of course, there are always downfalls because sometimes you have to miss training if there's an important deadline or being late to training because the commute to training from uni is almost two hours, depending on traffic most nights. But I chose to play football and to be at university, so it's my, it's my responsibility to make sure I balance everything in a healthy way. It's hard, but I do enjoy it. There will be rewards at the end of them, so I'm humble. Yeah, yeah. And um, earlier in your career, you spent time at Chelsea coming through. What's that like? What was that experience like, tra- training and playing with some of the best players in the world? It must have been quite the experience. Yeah, well, when I was at Chelsea, it was honestly the best time in my football career. So when I, when I was invited to train with the first team every day, it literally was a surreal experience. Like, even if you turned up in the car parking place and you pull up next to... Frank Kirby or Jem and Davidson and they say hi to you, you're literally starstruck. You're just like, oh my God, they said hi to me. Um, yeah, and like even when I, I was training with them, I'd literally just think in my head, oh my God, I'm going to have to tackle, you know, like the number one England international superstar, like Messi, who's Frank Kirby. No, it's just literally unreal. And I remember when... Um, had to do a 1v1 with Katie Chapman one time, so we was practicing 1v1, and with a reputation of being strong and disciplined, it literally just makes you feel so lucky that that you can improve yourself as a player around such good players, so at my time at Chelsea and like being around the amazing players, it literally was the best time of my life. Yeah, that must be fun. How did you get on with the one-on-ones with Katie Chapman? Well, believe it or not, right, I actually did really well. So the first couple of ones, she got away with me. Like, she got away. So I was just like, no, I'm going to stop you from scoring. So probably five times out of, no, probably about six times out of ten, seven times out of ten, I managed to stop her. So oh, that's great. That's a- yeah, it's one thing I can put on my CV. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other exciting things to go on your CV because you've been involved in some England camps as well, haven't you? Youth camps, uh, that must be a huge boost. Yeah, of course. England camps are always like very enjoyable, but they're also a very intense environment. So you're surrounded by a lot of players who have the same qualities and attributes for the game, but then at the same time, everyone brings different things to the camp. So it's always friendly. All the girls are so lovely. And there's so, and there's so much hard work done in the background that not many people see. Um, also, it helps that there are girls in the same situation as you. So even if you get picked or don't get picked for camps or even international matches, it's just so lovely that everybody is still like supportive regardless. And uh, where can you remember where you were when you were first called up? I mean, what's that process like? Do they just, do you get an email or do they ring you up? What's yeah, well. I remember, I think I was at Cholton at the time, or maybe Chelsea, I can't remember specifically, but I remember just getting told, oh, so you're invited to these camps, blah, 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 and I was just like, oh, okay, cool, and then I turned up, and there's, like, England kits, and then in the meeting, like, with all the parents, and, like, obviously all the players, we're all just sitting there thinking, oh, what's going on, and then literally you'd have the coach at England go, Welcome, you're now at the England Under-15s International Camp. And you're just like, how has this happened? Like, I swear <laughs> I was just turning up just for a camp, just for a talk. So. Yeah, and what's it like going into school and the next day, you know, coming, coming back from an England camp? You must um, be absolutely buzzing, I bet. Yeah, no, but sometimes I 
sometimes I feel like I'm like a superhero in a way. So you wear one kit and nobody knows who you who you are, and then you turn up to school and the next day in different uniform, and people just think of you as just a normal person. Whereas outside of school and everything else, you're actually like an international footballer or surrounded by international footballers. So it's just so weird. But I feel like I'm a superhero in some way. <laughs> I suppose, do you wear the England kit as much as you can or take it you know, to uni and stuff like that and show it off? Sorry? Do you wear the England, um, it, I suppose when you come back you got your England stuff, you must like be tempted to wear it all the time? Yeah, no, all the time. Like, I feel like sometimes, because where I used to play um, football with the boys at my like, secondary school, um, not that I wanted to, but I kind of wanted to, to like, show off and wear my England like, <laughs> kit and just be like, yeah, well... I've been at England camps. What about you? <laughs> That's marvellous. I love stories like that. It's great. Yeah. Um, now we've had a full season because this time last year we were all debating how's it going to be playing in the winter, playing in the summer. Uh, we've had a full season now of the um, of the winter league. How did you find it, or do you prefer playing in the summer or the winter, or what's your take on that? Um, see, there's a lot of pros and cons for both types of leagues but I'm definitely all about the summer league so I'm all about getting a tan enjoying the sunshine while playing football with your friends whereas the winter league I always got told off by the ref for wearing black under armour when I should be wearing orange so to avoid conflicts and freezing cold weather I definitely prefer the summer league yeah it's it's crazy those kind of rules isn't it having to wear the right colour um, under armour under the shirts and stuff it's yeah I know well at least it keeps from getting cold, but some people don't think like that, do they? No, no. I suppose the the uh, I suppose it's interesting. You can actually book summer holidays, though, can't you? I suppose. I suppose that might be one of the plus sides of it. Yeah, you get to book quite a few holidays. That is a plus <laughs> Yeah. Well, next next year at least the scheduling should be better, shouldn't it? Because this year we've had problems. We've had uh, three games in a week, then nothing for two weeks. I suppose as a player, that's really frustrating, and hopefully that'll be sorted with this new. Uh, league structure yeah hopefully I mean there's been a lot of effort into placing these new names and the new teams in the league so I'm just hoping that everything's sorted now and we can go on how it should be with the consistent games and the consistent training sessions without the awful weather and everything else yeah good and um, just like a, a couple of fun ones do you have any pre-match superstitions super that you, you um, do I'm not too sure whether or not I have a superstition or whether it's just something else, but I think I might have. So, depending on where I get placed in the team, so if I play left back or right back or centre back, it just depends whether it's a left side or a right side. So, when I'm in the change room, I have to prep myself on the side that I'm playing on. If I'm playing left back, I have to prep my left side first before my right side. And then if I'm playing on the right side, then my right side first. And then my left side. So I think that's a superstition. I'm not too sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of getting that way, isn't it? I think it's, yeah. But um, and the last one, who's the biggest joker in the London Beams dressing room? And have you been the victim of any like prank pranks or anything like that? The joker. See, there's there's a couple of jokers in the team. So I would probably say Evie Clark and Taylor O'Leary, they are probably the biggest jokers. Luckily, where I'm good friends with them, I haven't been a victim, but I have seen them 
put their wrongdoings on other people. But I think that should stay in private. Yeah. And I'm probably certain that the person would not want that to get exposed. So no, I can totally understand. On the down low. Yeah, every team. You have to have that, though, in the dressing room kind of thing, don't you? It kind of does build, build team spirit crazy, as it might sound. Yeah, Puffy just gets the squad together. So it just makes everybody much more calmer. It just makes the chemistry in the team even better. Yeah, well, it certainly worked this season with your, your record finish. And uh, let's hope there's more of it to come next year. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, Ocean, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, again, thank you for taking the time out on this uh, wonderful bank holiday and uh, we wish you all the, the best for next season and we'll hopefully have you on again in the future. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Well, thank you for having me. Have a lovely bank holiday. I will do. Thank you. Thank you to Ocean for coming on the show. Uh, she's a really positive character, isn't she? Yeah, I love her name. What a great name. <laughs> Ocean. Yeah, but it's the, the thing that struck me about that is that she's still... It just shows how players are still starstruck, right? Like, not a lot of players would admit to that, but just hearing it in her voice, like, you know, how important, you know, that was our, to be playing alongside uh, some of these great players. And it's still kind of fun when players get a little starstruck. Yeah, I like human. the story about uh, Katie Chapman. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, really great, positive. Congratulations to Ocean um, making the league. And London B is going strong, I think. I don't normally ask players about other players, but I felt I had to ask about Nick Hobbs just because mm-hmm. of the character that she is. And um, she's one of those players that nobody's got a bad word for, has she? I mean, the, the commute down to where she was going, you're talking two and a half hours each way, which is a hell of a long way on top of being a full-time firefighter, isn't mm-hmm. it? So it's like Ocean said, she's like Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to hear uh, other players, uh, our players' perspectives on their teammates and other players. Yeah, and uh, just thanks to Reese again at Next Gen Sports Solutions. We'll have a link to his website for any players listening to this that want representation and gain from all the great benefits that, that his company does. I thoroughly recommend you to check that out. Cool. We'll keep, be keeping an eye on the bees next season for sure. Absolutely, yeah. Got to get down to the hive, Adam. They've got oh, great yeah, definitely. Yeah. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Great grounds over there. So that's United. That's the United States partly covered. That's the, all the big developments in England covered. So I think now we shall talk about um, Australia because huh. it's a while since we've had her on the show and there's been a fair bit going off with the Matildas. We didn't really get a chance to chat with our Aussie correspondent, Cheryl Downs, because she was travelling and everything and so forth and so forth. But a couple of months ago, she went over to Jordan to watch the Asian section Women's World Cup qualifiers. So because you, you chatted with Yana a few shows ago, I was like, well, you're having Yana. I'm going to chat with Cheryl. <laughs> so... I chatted with Cheryl. I was looking at this. It's nearly two years since I actually recorded a section with Cheryl. So she was very relieved to chat to me. And we discussed plenty of things. We discussed the Matildas. We discussed upcoming W League things. We discussed you and various other things, my dear. So let's roll the tape and play the music. (laughs) 
Okay then everybody, this is something I've not done for a while, a few shows ago, Patty interviewed Yana and uh, we're swapping it around a bit and I'm chatting with our Aussie correspondent and head honcho at the women's game, Cheryl Down. So hi Cheryl. Hey Adam, how are you? I hope all's well. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's been a while since we chatted like this. You've normally had to put up with Patty, haven't you? <laughs> I don't mind who I have to put up with. You guys are both great, so I'm happy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Now, um... A couple of months ago now, uh, we had the um, Asian qualifiers for the uh, Women's World Cup and as everybody knows, Australia are in the Asian section and uh, you had a good trip to Jordan, didn't you? First of all, um, what's Jordan like to visit? I assume it's a country that not many of our listeners have been to. Yeah, it's fascinating. I think the capital city, Amman, is a city, I suppose, but it's quite interesting because it's fascinating with these seven hills that it has so to get anywhere it seems like you have to go around the bend five times to go a straight line or some such thing but yeah it's really interesting the people are lovely we did find we had some trouble just getting to the games i, I think as i was saying before the asian football confederation is a stickler for the rules so just even if you have a media pass they were trying to do things like take my laptop away from me. I was like, I, I pretty much need that for the game. So it's quite funny, but the people in Jordan are really, really friendly. We were fortunate enough, I think it was on the second day, to be invited to go to a refugee camp, um, a Syrian refugee camp, which was about seven kilometres, I think, from the border. Um, and that was quite interesting and eye-opening to do some corporate social responsibility stuff for the Asian Football Confederation as well. So, yeah, they, they have lots of um, influx of refugees there and the Jordanian government and the Jordanian families and people in, in general are just doing a lovely job in, in supporting the people there. Oh, great. It's always good to hear of um, good causes like that because I know Jordan might be a safe country, but around it there's quite a lot of uh, unsavoury stuff going off, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a tricky spot to get to, I think, sometimes, but it can't take anything away from Jordan at how lovely it is. And it's got its own amazing bits and pieces. I don't know how many people have been out to Petra, which is fascinating. Probably not my favourite. My favourite was Wadi Rum, which was just a, a stunning desert experience. Just really, really beautiful out there. Yeah, and um, going to on-the-pitch matters now, uh... Australia did qualify, but um, it, it wasn't straightforward, was it, I don't think? No, it was I think with the Asian Football Confederation, the good thing about the Asian Cup, which is our World Cup qualifier, is that the top five teams qualify. And given certainly Australia's ranking, you'd look at it on paper and say it shouldn't be too difficult for Australia to qualify. But I think the way that we played, probably, we, we tried to make it as difficult as we could to qualify, so yeah, probably, or not even probably, I don't think it was our best tournament by any stretch, but the good thing is that even when we played ugly, we managed to scrape out a draw, or we managed to scrape out a win, and that's a really positive thing, and the other thing is that the Asian Football Confederation is getting a lot stronger, so whereas in the past you could go in and think, well, you know, in 2010 I think it was that we won the Asian Cup. It's actually really, really tough out there these days, so I shouldn't take too much away from the players. But that said, we, we yeah, did not have a great tournament. Because it is a tough one, isn't it? Because you have both careers, you have Japan, you have yourselves. Um, China, obviously, one of the big powerhouses. So there's, there's not um, many easy games in this, is there? I mean, uh, is it, was, was it Vietnam, if they qualified? No, was it? 
who was was it Vietnam qualified? Um, so we played Vietnam along the way, and they were in our group. But in in terms of the qualifiers, we had China, Thailand, Australia, Japan, and South Korea. So that's that's great for all of those countries. Vietnam didn't quite make it. They're getting quite close, and, and they can be quite competitive. It's interesting to see them play. Australia had a for ourselves, we had a terrible match against Thailand, but it also shows that Thailand are lifting. So I think there's probably no surprises with who has qualified. Um, North Korea, just, yeah, not quite there at the moment. Yeah, North Korea tend to do well at the underage groups for some reason, don't they? And then when it comes to the full full um, internationals, they tend to, to slip away, not that I'm implying anything there. But... <laughs> What were the bright sparks then for the Matildas? There must have been some some good performances from some players. Yeah, sorry, I should um, also note that North Korea weren't at the Asian Cup, so one would expect them to be there next time around. Look, I think the bright things, like I said, I think in particular that even though we didn't play well and we played ugly football at times, that we managed to just keep going hard at it. We, we showed that we do have some depth, but I think depth was also a challenge for us because the deeper you have your squad, sometimes the harder it is to actually get that coherent, um, you know, everyone gelling together really well because you can chop and change a lot. And the more you change, maybe there's less um, fluid football going on. So I think that was a challenge for us. Sam Kira, I think, um, did pretty well out there. Hayley Razzo was injured, so that wasn't great for her. Um, Alana Kennedy was really, really great out there. And probably for me, the player of almost the tournament for me was Chloe Legazzo, who just was absolutely amazing and ran, oh, goodness knows how many kilometres she ran per game. But it would be up near the 15K per game, which I think is a, a really, really good effort. Yeah, and somebody who, who caught my eye in one of the games, former guest on the show, Mackenzie Arnold, um, when she stepped in goal, she she made, made a mark, didn't she? She did. I think Mackenzie did have a, um, a bad game as well, and now you're putting me on the spot in trying to remember which game that was, but she did have a particularly bad game against uh, someone. <laughs> um, yeah, so look, there, there's good opportunities out there. It may have been in the um, one of the knockout matches, but yeah, Mackenzie's got some great skills, probably needs to work on her distribution a little bit better. For me, Lydia Williams is the number one goalkeeper for Australia for quite a long way, but she's just turned 30 recently, and you know, as much as that's not an age that we would see goalkeepers retiring, we need to make sure that we've got a good underlying strategy with our keepers. Yeah, I know Mackenzie's playing in Norway in the, during the W League off-season as well, isn't she? So she's certainly getting the hours in to, to try and improve, which must must obviously be good for the squad, I'd have thought. Yeah, and that's really, really important for us because a lot of players we've got in the NWSL and we've got some players in the European leagues. And we've found in the past, and I think Hayley Rezzo is possibly a good example, she went over and played in Portland and really made her mark there. She didn't have the best season in the W League leading up to that. She'd been injured in the season before, I think it was. But going over to Portland, she just really flourished in that environment and she's back in the Aussie squad, which she was not in there for a little while. So really pleased to see the players who are developing it and working over to other countries and, and picking up their game and their skills a little bit more. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And one thing, Australia were, were 
but arguably, probably, definitely the team of the year in 2017. You know, they had won the Tournament of Nations, um, flew up the rankings, and obviously Sam Kerr was like the leading light and everything. Do you think there's a little bit of, of a hangover from that? I mean, because when you have a year like that, it's it's almost impossible to kind of repeat it straight away, isn't it? Do you think there's um, do you think the bar's been set a little too high, kind of thing? <laughs> Never. I think um, it's really good for us to set that bar high, and I think the big deal for us is now to not just compete in tournaments, but to win them. So Tournament of Nations was a big thing for us, and that's probably why a lot of us were quite disappointed with the result in the Asian Cup. We we didn't win the final, but we made the final, which maybe in the olden days would have been, you know, hey, that's great. But these days we actually go into a tournaments and we would expect the Matildas to, to win them. And really, I think for us to, or for the Matildas to be one of those squads that's maybe will qualified champions or, or something like that they yeah need to put themselves in there they need to look like they're going to win and not just be the also runs mm. and, and what about the other teams uh, in the tournament did anybody else catch your eye I mean the other teams that, that qualify because there's a chance you might be playing them again further down the road in the World Cup so how did you assess the opposition well, Japan's probably the one to look out for the most. Obviously, we know that Japan's already won the World Cup. They already know how to win these big tournaments. They played um, probably within themselves. I don't think Japan had their best tournament either. But that said, um, they've still got some amazing skills, just how they use the ball. Very, very clinical, great passing. But probably not really, really threatening in that final third, just in terms of getting goals. But even in the match against Australia, I think, you know, so many times I thought we were going to win, but Japan just were able to stick to their guns and win it. Thailand, like I said, real up-and-comer, and when you get to the point of World Cups, any team that's in there, if you don't take them seriously, you could be in for a surprise. The way that Thailand played against Australia, and let's not forget, I think at the end of regular time and extra time, it was 2-all, and it wasn't until we got to penalties that we got away from them. So Thailand were a really, really strong squad, and need to be anyone that's playing them needs to be careful. They're probably the keys for me. South Korea had some really, really strong results as well. So, yeah, coming up to World Cup territory next year, it'll be exciting. And have the uh, Matildas got any pre-season, or not pre-season, but friendlies lined up in the pipeline? I mean, what's coming up? I know there's a big buzz in over the ditch in New Zealand against their match with Japan. Have Australia arranging any more friendlies? Um, I don't know how much is on at the moment, but certainly the Tournament of Nations is going to be a big tournament for us and, and very, very lucky for anyone who's over in the US who will be able to see those games. Hopefully there will be a lot more games that will be scheduled, but at the moment the players are, are locked in. We'll have to wait and see what happens in some of those FIFA windows. Yeah, because Patty's sulking about the Tournament of Nations because it's not being played on the West Coast, is it? It's kind of these big distances. Uh, between all the cities, the organisation's pretty poor, isn't it, really, for that, I think? Hang on a minute, Patty. If you Do you have a car? You can drive or you can take a plane. You can go to these games. You know, know. I've flown all the way to Jordan. So <laughs> there's plenty of opportunities out there. And, yeah, you just got to make some time, Patty. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's old girl's just coming out with excuses, I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, no, she's just scared that the Matilda's going to whack the United States again. I shouldn't say that because <laughs> let's not talk smack. Yeah, if the Austra- if um, if the United States managed to beat Australia, you can imagine that clip getting played on multiple shows again and again. But yeah, I'll have to see how much I have to pay you, Adam, to edit that out. <laughs> but um, moving on, just. Well, the W League obviously is is the domestic competition in in Australia. Uh, any rumours about what's happening with that next year? Are we any more teams? Uh, any more fixtures? What's what's going on with that? Yeah, I think one of the things with the W League is that it's always hard to tell, and we spend many months leading up to it speculating what's going to happen and who's when are we going to sign players and those sorts of things. It tends to wait until because we've got so many players that play in the NWSL and they're not released for a certain amount of time, then we just, even the player announcements aren't known for a long time. There's plenty of talk in Australia at the moment about the A-League expanding. So the A-League is the the men's competition in Australia akin to the W-League, which is for the women. Um, Currently, they have a great big long season. Currently, they've got plenty of teams, but I think they're opening up two more slots for the 2019-2020 season. So there's been 15 teams that have put forward or 15 clubs which have put forward a a request for um, getting one of those expansion licences. I don't know all the criteria whether or not they they have to have um, the ability to run a W League team and they have to have the ability to have the right facilities for a W League team. So there's plenty of teams vying for the A League licence and hopefully they're real solid contenders for a W League licence. That said, I'm not interested in expansion at any point in the near future until we get a full home and away season. That would be the goal for us. At the moment, we have 14 rounds, which equates to 12 games per team, which just isn't enough. So we want to have a more balanced league to have more games for the each of the teams. And then and only then would we hope to see the expansion happening at W League level. In addition to which, there's plenty of talk about it. It's great to have more opportunities for young players or any players to get out there and get exposed to W League style of football but you also have to look at the depth and think do we have enough depth enough depth do we have enough money do we have enough spectators are we doing the right things for the game before we expand so first things first full home and away season after that let's talk and if if you did get the home and away fixtures would you rather the league starts earlier or would you have it starting at the same time and finishing later into the new year because it's kind of all around climaxes around christmas january time doesn't it how, how would you would you like if, if you had a magic wand how would you like to see it set up <laughs> i like that you've given me all this power adam it's very nice i don't know what to do with it but look starting earlier might be a little bit tricky just because how many players we have playing in the nwsl But if we do um, expand significantly in terms of the number of games, then maybe we would have fewer players that would go off to the NWSL. It would have to be a really competitive league. So it might work out better to have the season going longer, but obviously you're playing through the hotter months. And the the A-League, so the men's competition, goes for... um, I can't remember when it starts, to be honest, but I think for us going longer would possibly be a better option. But we'd need to look at all the leagues around the world and particularly where we get our international players come to play in the league as well as where our players go off and play internationally. Yeah, I suppose um, Australia would suffer, like in America, midweek games would be tough for travelling, wouldn't they? It's okay in places like 
Germany and the UK, you, you can play midweek games because you know you can get home and back. But I'd imagine if you're flying from Melbourne to Perth and places like that, it makes the midweek fixtures tough, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would. I think it'll be really hard to do it that way. But if that's something that could be considered, then sure, why not? Um, I think everyone would be happy just, number one, to get a, a longer season in terms of the number of matches. Maybe there's some kind of compromise that needs to be made to make sure that we can um, yeah, squeeze them in maybe in the same time frame if that makes it more viable for the league to exist with the NWSL and other competitions around the world. Yeah, oh, I hope I hope it happens. I think because um, I know New, there was a big push in New Zealand to get their um, fixtures doubled, so they're going like home and away over the winter, and that that's huge for them. And I think it it makes the competition more balanced, doesn't it? I think. Oh, I think it's fantastic when I hear things like that. I mean, that's that's really great, and it just sets the the standard for what we should be doing here in the W League. And the good thing about the W League is that it's been around for ten seasons, so we've had plenty of learning opportunities around what works, what doesn't work. Don't expand too quickly. Don't do this too quickly. Make sure you've got the right facilities. But to hear that New Zealand's doing it, I, I think that's fantastic, and it will balance out things very much. So you look at it at the moment if you're a team and you come up against um, maybe one of the tougher teams twice in a season, it doesn't really bode as well for you if you're up against someone who's less high up on the ladder. Yeah, and just lastly, how um, how big is the Matildas profile in Australia? Because I know uh, there was a big controversy with the men's cricket in Australia and Australia's very proud of its sports. And with the Matildas being pretty successful, has the profile kind of raised with everything else that's been going off? Yeah, look, I think it has, actually, and that's really promising. I think the the more that I get out there, and, and I'll talk about football non-stop, so the poor people that talk to me, I feel sorry for them sometimes, but more of them know about football, and I've been to a, an engagement recently, and one of those engagements where you're sitting on a table with people you don't know, and, and poor buggers had to listen to me talk about football, but certainly they knew a couple of the players, not just the one who, you know, you look at Sam Kerr, and Sam Kerr's a really, really big name in Australia and possibly around the world at the moment, but there were a bunch of other players that these people were able to name, and, and I think that just highlights that it is getting a... a bigger visibility it is on the news a little bit more so the more matches that we play that's going to be a big deal I don't think there's really any visibility of the Matildas or the the players that are in the Matildas off in the NWSL I don't think there's anything that's out there for them but the social media for FFA has has improved in my opinion and then that helps with the profile as well Good stuff. And um, lastly, what, what's going on at the women's game at the moment? I know you've got a, a correspondent over in the US writing about the Aussie players there for you, haven't you? Um, uh, how's it going? Any What's on the women's game at the moment? Oh, very, very busy. And it's fantastic. And it's so much fun. And it's really just highlighting that there is this whole push at the moment to see women's sport in the just being ex- far more exposed than what it was, which is great because there's plenty of great sport out there. So, yeah, the women's game has traditionally just over the past 10 years has been following football and promoting football. But as of February this year, we started doing a whole bunch more than that. So we're covering lots of the big leagues out there and it's heaps of fun. It's incredibly busy, but for me and for many other women out there, just to be able to see more women playing sport just gives them more role models, and I think that's really, really important, whether or not if you like football or don't like football, if you like um, netball 
or, you know, I don't know why you can't run with the ball, but anyway, um, <laughs> basketball, all, all sorts of things. I mean, there's plenty of sports out there, and, and we're just trying to appeal, um, provide something that appeals to everyone and just showcase that women's football and, and all sorts of other women's sport are amazing. Yeah, great stuff. And you don't have to do too much editing of Patty's articles for you, do you? They're okay, are they? <laughs> Patty's been amazing actually she's been doing a really really great job and we're really thankful I know you want me to um, work her up a little bit but <laughs> no Patty, Patty's been great and I hope she's enjoying it as well it's really nice for us to be able to see the, the Aussies Abroad articles that we do and at, Patty has been doing those they've been fantastic and they're one of one of the biggest things that people love to read because they like to see what the Matildas are doing in the off-season. And that's, again, the problem with the W League. The off-season is so long. When you think about the, the regular season, is just 14 rounds plus the finals. It's just too long without um, the exposure to those players. So thank you very much, Patty. When we get more Aussies over your side of the world, Adam will get you to write some as well. I think you've probably got too much time on your hands hanging out with those cats. Yeah, I have. I don't have much of a social life. And uh, now I've got my new bachelor lifestyle. I've got more than enough time. So <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. We'll sign you up. Great stuff. Well, Cheryl, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Uh, you take care, and I'm sure that we'll chat to very soon. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Adam. And hi, Patty. Hi, Cheryl. <laughs> I'm going to change your guys' theme music to Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> you guys just keep talking about me. Come on. There's she put the smackdown. <laughs> before we discuss the content of that, she really put the smackdown on you, didn't she? <laughs> Come on, Cheryl. Don't talk smack. Um, boss, or should I say boss? Uh, as, the women's game, for those of you who didn't know, I've been contributing to the Aussies Abroad rap pieces that they feature on the women's game. And yes, Cheryl, I'm having a great time showcasing the Aussies here because it's so easy. I mean, every week they're making an impact in the NWSL in their own individual way. I mean, it seems like games got better and more exciting when the Matildas got here, so uh, after an international duty. So it's fun. It's fun working with Cheryl. You know, she's very easy on me. She doesn't, it, it was funny because when I started writing, you know, I, I have a tendency to overwrite. And so when I would send my stories to her and then I'd see them published, I was like, wow, she edited. I mean, she just cut out like 30% of my, <laughs> so then I thought, oh, okay. They, at the women's game, they've got, they're covering women's sports, um, you know, all different women's sports. And so they like to have, you know, good short pieces so I'm, now I know now I know Cheryl so I cut down my my um, stories from like about 800 words to down to like 400 words <laughs> but she's easy on me she's easy to work with and uh, she doesn't give me a hard time she only gives me a hard time when she's talking to you I guess yeah and she told you to get your ass on that plane to Chicago or <laughs> wherever the yeah she can go to Jordan yeah that but you know what it was so interesting to hear her talk about that tournament because on the other side of the world we were hearing how oh you know how uh, how nail-biting the, the um, Australian team was to watch and how rocky, you know, it was so, uh, in that tournament. But we're just like, why? You know, what was going on over there? So to be able to hear Cheryl kind of explain to us what was happening is makes me understand a little bit better. Yeah, well, so it's like I said to, to Cheryl, I mean, when obviously 2017 was the year of the Matilda. And when you set a benchmark like that, it is very, very hard to do it again. I think they're being judged, but it's like Cheryl said, it's good to have high standards. Mm-hmm. Not on this show, obviously we don't, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know what, but, we are, 
and and talking about you know the how how they've um, improved a lot of these players have improved not just because of NWSL per se but the way that they're um, being exposed to playing alongside and with other internationals in the NWSL I think is helping too I mean someone like uh, someone like Ellie Carpenter who's actually doing a great job in Portland and Cheryl's like yeah she didn't have a great tournament you know in Jordan so it's good to hear but it's it's just uh, yeah, I think there's kind of coming off maybe a, a Matilda's hangover a little bit, do you think? I, I just think, yeah, I mean, it's it's like I said, I mean, I think um, I, I think we'll have a better understanding of where they are when, when the Tournament of Nations comes around. It's it's always tough. And also, qualifiers, this pressure, they're real games. I mean, I know the Tournament of Nations, She Believes Cup, they are cups, but if you don't win them, no one's going to be that upset. Right. But I think when the pressure's on, it is different. Remember, all those te- everyone's fighting for something. I mean, mm-hmm. Thailand, you know, she said them like obviously they qualified for the second World Cup in a row, and the Aussies went through on penalties. And I think it was uh, Mackenzie Arnold played quite well in the shootout then. So I-, I think it's it's always different, isn't it? When you it's like when you play pool in the pub. If you're just playing around, it's not too bad. But if someone says, right, let's play for five or ten pounds, it becomes a lot more serious and edgy and clicky. Mm-hmm. So. I think it's just just something like that, to be honest. It was also great to hear her ideas on the W League expansion, because I'm thinking, you know, W League expansion, yeah, you know, but of course Cheryl always has a different perspective, a more educated one, <laughs> educated perspective and reality based perspective. Um, so interesting to hear. We'll be talking more about the W League in upcoming months. Yeah, because it's, it's interesting. You think, yeah, put more rounds in, that's all well and good, but then you look at the calendar. And then it's like, ah, if the players are in the NWSL at the start, and then mm-hmm. I think you'd have to kind of go the other way, wouldn't you, and play into January and February. But then you're obviously into the really hot summer months, but I suppose you could get to it. I think that would be it. It's, it's like I said, midweek travel is tough in Australia as well, because they have a lot of young players who are still still in school and stuff, don't they? I mean, mm-hmm. there's lots of things to be... It's not just as, as straightforward as saying, you know, expand the season, man. You can't <laughs> just do that, can you? Because... A lot of logistics, but yeah. where there's a will, there's a way, and I really do hope they do expand it. Because as Cheryl said, it's we love the W League, but it's just too short. Great to hear from Cheryl. Sorry, Sherry had put up with uh, Adam, but uh, you know maybe you guys you just stop talking about me so much. And oh wait, now, now that Cheryl's my boss, I have to be nice to her. Yeah, <laughs> no, she's all right. She's a good. She's a good egg. I say, I always she say that. She's a good egg. She's yeah, a good egg. Good. Um, so, and speaking of NW, so I'll just go into. We might as well talk a little bit in the NWSL. Well, we're in the N- well, NWSL, I've been wanting to say this for two weeks. Can I just blow my own trumpet here? Oh, gosh. I'm just going to ball myself up a bit here and, and blow my own trumpet because that's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. On the last show, I was saying, you know, we were discussing the Houston Dash, whose form has continued to improve. And I said, it's great to see a former Pittsburgh player, Veronica Lasco, getting up, you know, a third round draft pick getting some minutes and being in the squad because it's hard for third round draft picks and as soon as I gave her that ball up and everything what happened <laughs> she went and scored the winning goal in the 90th something minute and it was two days after the show so I just want to blow my own trumpet because I don't when I do get stuff right like this I do have to sing it from the rooftops because <laughs> you know that's the kind of person I am I am but yeah can we just give it up for both for Veronica for scoring the goal and for me for also put, picking her out so nobody knows Veronica Lasco and third round draft picks better than I do. So that's um, that's my uh, little tooting of my own horn, and I will hope, will obviously hope to get her on the show in a few weeks. I mean, I've, I don't think me bullying her up has made her a great player per se, 
there's been other factors as well. I mean, I don't want to claim all the credit for it, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd get that one. I thought right. I'd get that out of the way before we do the serious stuff. All right. Yay. <laughs> slow cap, slow clap. Uh, speaking yeah. of the dash, man, hey, I have to give a shout out to Rachel Daly. Uh, she was voted NWSL Player of the Week for Week 9, and I think she's probably going to get it again this week. I don't know for sure, but uh, at the rate, rate she's going, I mean, she can really get NWSL uh, MVP of the year. I mean, if she continues the way that she's playing, she continues to score goals, she continues to just be a, a wrecking ball. Gosh, just such a, such so much fun to watch. So really great to see Rachel Daly kind of making that team her own and seeing them getting great results. I know maybe the the guy, the new assistant coach coming in, maybe that's helped matters mm, out. But I don't think they've so. certainly become a, a lot. To, I'm not going to give him credit for Rachel Daly. No, no. <laughs> Rachel Daly's Rachel Daly. I mean, you know, when she's not scoring goals or um, making plays happen, she's carrying off injured players in her arms. I mean, that's <laughs> she's awesome. We're starting to see who's who, right? Yeah. As the as we're going into like a FIFA break. It's coming up week. But if we start off at the bottom, still New Jersey, man. The sky blue. They cannot get a win. They uh, tied up the game against, uh, they had a home game against Utah, like we were talking about before. Utah got an early lead by a Diana Matheson goal that was just incredible. She's really learned how to do these sliding <laughs> goal scoring things that she's got going on. And I think she's almost kind of reinventing herself, D-Math. New Jersey turnaround, Sky Blue turnaround with a great goal by Shea Groom, able to tie it up. But then at the end of the game, they lost it. Uh, you know, even if they came out of there with a draw, it would have been good probably. But still not on the win column. Don't know really what they have to do to kind of change things. But I was telling you off off um, air that it almost feels like that that Sky Blue's gonna click. Like it almost you, when you watch them, you're like they're gonna turn the corner at some point. Now it may be too late for this year. It may be at the end of the year, but you just feel like there's something that, that those pieces are all there and they're all kind of almost clicking. It just feels like there's just going to be a point where they just turn it on. And I have a feeling, unfortunately, that's probably going to be towards the end of the season or maybe even next year. But head up, yeah, head up, Cloud9, because I think that you, you got, you've got some positivity on the horizon. It's just not here, there yet. The, the problem really is, is in the goal scoring, isn't it? Because they've only conceded 16 goals and to put that into perspective you've got Washington who can see the 17 Houston 16 Chicago 16 Portland 16 so it's yeah. that ends isn't too bad but if you're not scoring goals every goal's a killer you know it's not like you're free flowing and you can come back if you go a goal down so I mean only scored six six goals in nine games really is, is a poor show and uh, yeah that's that's where the problem is you don't have to be a world-renowned coach to to work that one out do you yeah uh, but, you know, it's funny because we're watching the game, the announcers kept saying, you know, oh, Sky Blue's defense is in transition, this and that. And you're like, well, wait a minute. It's not really the de- the defense may be in transition, but, you know, you got to score goals too. So totally on board with what you're saying. Um, in the eighth spot, Washington Spirit, they had a tough game the other day. They uh, they fell to the visiting Chicago Red Stars 2-0. And this, this game was kind of weird. It was a, the lifetime game of the week, Washington Spirit versus the Chicago Red Stars. But then they had Lightning warnings so they cleared everybody out right before the game was ready to start and then they ended up I think it was delayed like five hours they didn't play until seven at night so by that time lifetime was like oh well you know too bad and there goes your game they didn't show it but Washington I you know I didn't get a chance to see it but boy uh let me tell you I've been looking at some highlights of Sankur 
Sam Kerr and uh, Yuki Nagasato are really creating a great connection between them. I mean, it's, it's Nagasato and Kerr caught, um, connected on two goals the week before against uh, the Orlando Pride and that loss at home, and Sam Kerr connecting again with Nagasato, and then later on Nagasato scored the second goal. So 2-0, uh, not the result that Washington wanted at home. They need, the, they need to win at home, uh, so that drops them down into the eighth spot. Houston Dash, is, you know, even in the seventh spot, they're still starting to look good. They're starting to get momentum. Like you said, Rachel Daly, uh, Veronica Latsko clicking. Uh, just so many things, those South African players clicking. The return of Khalil High make a big difference. Of course, you got a great goalkeeper in Jane Campbell, and you can just go down the line. You know, there's a lot of naysayers about the Dash and about Vera Powell, but let me tell you, for this team, a team that people weren't giving a lot of really confidence in because of the new coach and new system and everything, they're doing not they're not bad. They're doing a pretty good job. You know, their last I'm looking at their last five games, they've had two wins, a loss, and two draws, so not bad. And, and, and again, Ver- and they've got um, Veronica Lasco. And Veronica Lasco, <laughs> got to get her on the show. Um, and yeah. of course, we're just going through the standings, but there's also a game that's going to be played later on today, and so sometimes our you know. They might some teams you might see switch a little switch around a little, but right now as far as this recording, uh, Utah Royals not doing too bad either. They're they moved up into the sixth slot, so they're starting to see good results. Five like we said, Chicago Red Stars. Sam Kerr seems to be getting her start. It's so funny because la, uh, a few weeks ago against the Orlando Pride, Sam Kerr scored a brace and she scored two great goals, and then she came out yesterday before the Chicago before the Washington match and she's like, you know, I didn't really play that well the game before in Orleans, like you played fantastic, you know, it's a, but it's that one player cannot make the whole team, you know what I mean? Another big Australian and uh, making a difference, like we said, was you know, Ellie Carpenter at Portland Thorns. Oh, Portland, you know, I don't know about them. I know you picked Portland. Did you pick Portland in your top I had them in the, yeah. I had them in the fourth slot. I had them to come in the fourth False spell. Yeah. Well, that's where they are which, right now. <laughs> yeah, which they are right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually doing, at the moment, if, if the league finished now, I'd be quite smoking, quite content because I've got three of the teams in the positions I thought they would be. I just need Orlando and Chicago to swap places. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's like I said a couple of shows back, until Adriana French gets back, I think Portland, are, it's not all, obviously not all the, the good goalkeeper's fault, but Adriana French is a big part of that team, isn't she? And she just commands the defence really well. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying they've got a dustbin in goal at the moment, not at all. But I just think that she's so so vital to that that team that until she gets back, I think you're going to keep seeing these like slightly inconsistent results. But I, I think the problem also with Portland is they they have had some tough games, haven't they? They had like the derby with the rain that they got hammered in. But well, no, sorry, they didn't get hammered. It was a really good game, three two mm-hmm. back and forth. Then Orlando went there with Alex Morgan, who, who's not on the show this week. Uh, they went there. And then Carolina, I mean, they're just, as you would say, one of, one of my favourite uh, Patty sayings, they're just playing lights out now. I mean, <laughs> Carolina are smashing everybody home or away. I mean, they could just play on the moon, I think, and they'd mm-hmm. win. Carolina, I mean, Carolina's already got the number one seed wrapped up, haven't they? They're not going to oh, let a, uh, the kind of gap. I mean, I know the Reign have got two games in hand, but I think Carolina, you can... Carolina might as well just get the shield off to the engravers and present them with that now because that's <laughs> that's that's going to North Carolina. But yeah. uh, but I think that you're right about about AD French, and I don't think a lot of people really have the courage to say that because they don't want to disrespect Brett Eckersham, who's a great goalkeeper. And I, it's not just about being a good keeper; it's just like you said, it's commanding that back line. And I think that that AD French just does that so well. But well, let me tell you, you got to show up though to play North Carolina, and Portland just it. 
in that game against uh, North Carolina where they lost 4-1, to they just didn't show up. I mean, they just were not uh, there. Like, where is everybody? So you have to really show up to play North Carolina. I think that's going to be the kind of the message going forward. You just can't, just because you're home and you're playing in front of 17,000 fans, you know, and they've got, you know, all their flags waving and stuff, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta put a game plan together and stick with it. So. Yeah. I think the most important relationship in any football team, men, women, beavers, whatever, (laughs) is that, is that central triangle, that triangle between your two center backs and the goalkeeper that needs to, that's, that's the most important partnership on a football pitch by any stretch, by a long, long way. So that's why you don't often see centre-halves, unless they're injured, you don't see centre-halves being subbed in and out of games like you do. All the other, you might see your full-backs get subbed, you might see all the other positions, but those three is set because that's so important. If, you, if that relationship isn't, isn't, work, isn't strong, then the entire team just falls apart. So that's that really is kind of the problem. And if you go keep... I know in, it's not fair on Brett Eagleson to, to single her out, but mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. And, you know, Eddie French is a big, big part of Portland's championship win last season. And you can't just take a player out like that and expect not to have any kind of comeback at all. Uh, then we move up the table and we have the Orlando Pride. Um, as of this recording, they're 4-3-3 three, and three with 15 points. And then they have a match later on after this recording against Seattle Reign. So that's going to be a really good game. Be a good one. Yeah, so that potentially that spot could swap. And Seattle haven't been getting the praise they deserve because you have to remember this is we all thought this was going to be a team in transition. They were my tip to win it all still. So you know, um, yeah, Velasco's just doing what he does, and mm-hmm. you know they've been quietly going about it, haven't they? Maybe not getting the praise they deserve because to be in second place, having played two games, le- I mean they've got three games in hand on some teams. Uh, having only played, well, obviously they're playing one tonight, so it'll be a little bit dated. But yeah, um, good things happening in Seattle, and I expect them to to kind of c- carry on this good form throughout the rest of the season. So many weapons there, you know. Yeah, they, yeah, they're kind of being overlooked by a lot of other teams right now, but they have just so many weapons. And this is this is the Seattle Rain team that we've always seen, right? It's like most of these players are still there, holdovers from Laura Harvey's days. So. They've been together a long time. They know what they need to do to win, and there's connections there between them. You know, we see between really, really great team chemistry. Um, and then, of course, number one, like we said, North Carolina Courage, undefeated, 29 points, sitting on top of the the league. Uh, they just keep they just keep winning. Uh, should we just round up a couple of tidbits and then we can sure get get it out. all right. Um... I just want to congratulate former guests on the show, Hayley Sinclair. She scored and had an assist in Rangers' 3-2 win over Celtic in the old firm today. Really happy for her because I know she's been working incredibly hard and doesn't get the credit that she deserves. And um, we haven't done one of these for a while, but we have a Schmidt bit. Schmidt bit! Sophie Schmidt, really? Sophie Schmidt played her last game for FFC Frankfurt today. As the Ferran Bundesliga wrapped up, we ended up with Cologne and Gina getting relegated, and we ended up with um, Wolfsburg, Bayern Munich getting into the Champions League. So that's that's all that's wrapped up in there. And congratulations, a belated congratulations to um, Kadia Gottman, former guest on the show. She won the league with, um, with Anderlecht in Belgium months ago. I should have mentioned that. My apologies for screwing up on that one and forgetting that one. But uh, one of our own, one of our own, starting her season this weekend, isn't she? Um, what's Jonesy up to? Yeah, so and so Jonesy's playing uh, with the Florida Tropics SC, WPSL team. Uh, they have really smart kits too. 
Uh, so check them out if you're in the Florida area, Florida Tropics. You'll see Kate, Caitlin Jones. Say, hey, Jonesy, give her a high five, and uh, she'll be happy to talk to you, and she'll be happy to sign an autograph for you out here. Yeah, and um, obviously cause my, my Steel City girls, they had a good win, first win of the season after two defeats last night, so whoop you do to them. And awesome. also um, a belated birthday to AJ, we've got her brand new theme tune ready, she's ready to interview guests, and um, she's ready to just basically kick some ass, isn't she? I hear, I hear that's true. So yeah, happy birthday AJ, one of the originals yeah. on our show. Yeah, yeah. So we appreciate AJ all the time. Right, no, then I it. would just like to um, thank... Ocean Rollinson and Reese from Next Gen Sports Solutions for coming on the show. Absolute pleasure to have them. And also a big shout out to Sophie Bell for coming on and interrupting her holiday at this incredibly busy time to chat all about the Blades being in the championship next year. And also thanks to Cheryl Downs. Hey. Awesome to chat with Cheryl. And thank you to Desiree Scott, the destroyer, for coming on the show. And also Carla Haslam over there for the Utah Royals. Always very accommodating to us. So thanks, Carla. Thanks, Des. Uh, check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the, the website where we have our blog running, where Melissa Tan's putting up great stuff on there on a regular basis, so do check that out. And again, if you're in Utah for the US game, Patty's here, so go and say hello to her. She doesn't bite, and have a jolly good time, and we'll see you all in two weeks. See you guys. Bye. Bye. You guys. You guys. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.